Another Day in Paradise. The following collection of papers was found in a locked metal box in the burned-out ruins of the Colin Malatrap Museum of Curious Oddities and Strange Antiquities. My psychiatrist says writing down what happened would be a step in the right direction, that if I can get it out that way I'll be able to talk about it more freely. I have my doubts, but with my inability to go back into the building that has been my professional home for the last 15 years, I'm willing to try anything. The whole event lasted... Well, honestly, I'm not sure. How do you measure time when you don't have a watch and there are no clocks? When I went in to clean the back room, it was 11.25. When it was all said and done, and I came out, the same clock said 12.40. That's an hour and 15 minutes. But I don't think that's right. It doesn't take an hour and 15 minutes to clean a room that's less than 10 by 10. No doubt Dr. C also wants to see what I say about the man, the one who was there and then wasn't, when I wasn't where I had been. Most importantly, though, maybe if I write this down, I can stop the dreams. They're terrible and horrifying. They wake me in a cold sweat every night, and I want them to stop. Mostly they're about the past, about what happened in that place not of our world. A few of them, though, seem to be in the future, when our civilization has fallen and people have become animals, and they have come through to hunt and kill and eat and revel in their victory. I'm getting ahead of myself, though. My phone rang at 10.30. It was work, calling me to come in and work. I protested I was off, but they didn't want me to work. They wanted me to come in and clean and organize the back room, a process anyone working there could have done, as it would last at most 20 minutes, but I was promised to shift off later in the week, so I relented and went. When I got there, there was a strange smell in the air, at least to me. No one else seemed to notice it. The best way I have to describe it makes no sense, I know, but it made me feel this way, so here we go. It was a smell from way back in time. A sense of fear, not of any physical thing, but of something that no human has ever known or been afraid of. It reached in and flipped a switch in the back of the back of the back of my mind, one that existed in the instinctual centers of the human mind, if such things exist of things that were feared on the earth before humans existed, before apes came out of the trees, before fish emerged from the water. But no one else smelled it, so I dismissed it from my mind. The back room was a mess. It always is. A few minutes after I started in on it, pulling out all the boxes I could empty, distributing their contents where they went, Annalise stuck her head in. Hey, Abigail, how's life? Just another day in paradise, Anna. You... Same soup, just reheated. Did it feel weird when you came in? What, coming in on my day off? No, not weird or irritating in the least. No, I mean, my anxiety has been pretty bad this morning. Not sure why, ever since I got here. Thought I smelled something a little while ago, and it set me on edge for some reason. Have you smelled it since then? No. Well, that's something. If you do, come find me, and we'll figure out what it is. Annalise gave me a thumbs up and went back to work. I was impressed with myself that I didn't show that I had smelled whatever it was through the whole conversation. Annalise, apparently, hadn't. Twenty minutes later, I was just about done. Only one corner left to empty, so I grabbed one of the boxes against the wall and lifted. There was a hole behind it. The hole was about two feet square, looked like someone had sledgehammered it into existence. It was dark inside. Not like, dark like I need my eyes to adjust. It was dark. I couldn't see anything. 
I knelt down for a closer look and saw absolutely nothing. Oh, no, that's not true. Far, far back, or maybe up close, I couldn't tell which, a single pinpoint of light. It twinkled and glittered like some sort of impossibly distant star. Then, with absolutely no change, I knew it was close. So close, I could reach out and touch it. That was when the yelling outside the room started. I heard my name, but I was focused on solving the mystery of the light. I reached my hand out and grasped it. There was a deafening brilliance, then nothing. The first thing that came back to me was the heat. It wasn't quite hot, but it was warm and dry. There was some moisture to the air, not much. I opened my eyes slowly. It was night. It had been before noon when I went in, and now it was night. A thin crescent moon peeked through the branches of the tree above me. There was something wrong, but not having the least interest in things outside of the planet and very little about things on it, I had no idea what it was. I got to my feet and looked around. I was on some sort of road through the middle of a forest with no idea where or how I had gotten here. I hesitated a moment, trying to decide which way to go, then thought that it didn't matter, I didn't know where I was anyway, and started walking. The trees were all spindly, sickly-looking things, and the full moon cast shadows down on the path. I thought I saw a face in one of them. I walked on. The trees were all spindly, sickly-looking things, and the full moon cast shadows down on the path. I thought I saw a face in one of them. I walked on. The trees were all spindly, sickly-looking things, and the full moon cast shadows down on the path. I thought I saw a face in one of them. I stopped, looked back, looked forward. The path stretched on into darkness in either direction. I picked out one tree that had a broken branch hanging by a strip of bark. Turned, looked back the other way. There was a broken branch hanging by a strip of bark. It could have been a coincidence, but I didn't think it was. I looked up. The thin crescent moon I had seen when I first opened my eyes smiled its demon grin down at me. I walked on. After about ten minutes, or maybe an hour, time was hard to judge, I looked back. Broken branch hanging by a strip of bark. I looked forward. Broken branch hanging by a strip of bark, clearly illuminated by the moon. A full moon. It had been a crescent before. I looked upwards. There were two moons in the sky. The vanishing of Abigail McAllister is one of those things the world knows about, even if it never happened. Some people call it the Mandela Effect. I didn't have a hand in that, though I am still looking into it. In the continuous world, Abigail vanished and was never seen again. She was recorded by security cameras going into the back room. The cameras saw Annalise Mardigan come over and address her. On the recording, Abigail looks at the corner of the room, crouches down, and reaches for something. Then? Nothing. The camera stopped recording and didn't pick up again. None of the other cameras in the building malfunctioned. A search was made, but no leads came up. No angry ex-boyfriends, no enemies, no criminal history. Her credit card and driver's license were never used or renewed, and her bank account sat untouched for years. She had fallen out of this world and into the world whose name I can't even pronounce, and I'm the foremost knowledgeable expert in that field. She landed there, and she was, if she's lucky, killed on impact. If she's unlucky, she died of starvation. If she's really unlucky, 
She was driven mad and then eaten. The black slimy thing crawled out of a tree a few feet down the path from me. I would call it a spider, but it was slick and slimy looking like a newt or a salamander, but with too many legs. It was all those things. It was none of those things. I didn't get a sense of danger from it. It seemed to be some blind idiot creature. I did, however, get a terrible sense of danger from what happened next. It reached the other side of the road, and there was suddenly something else there. It wasn't the trees or the sky or the moons. It was something between them that wasn't there and hadn't been until it was. Then it had always been there. Its jaws opened, snapped shut, and the slimy thing was gone. So was I. I turned, knowing in the back of my head it wouldn't do any good, I would be in the same spot. And I ran anyway. I only looked back once, and it was at that moment I ran into something. We went down in a tangle of arms and legs. Slick skin rubbed against mine, and I screamed and struggled to my feet. It was another person. A guy a little older than I am, and he was slowly getting to his feet as well. Don't run, he said. You're the first human I've seen in... I don't know how long. He was tall, limp blonde hair, and a straggle of beard. His eyebrows were bushy and brown, set above eyes just slightly too far apart. His nose was stubby and flat, and his lips constantly moved. All in all, it was disconcerting, but he was the first real person I'd seen, so I didn't run. Who are you? I asked. I answer to Fitzroy. Okay, Fitzroy, nice to meet you. I'm Abigail. I am pleased your acquaintance to make. Okay, great. Any idea where we are, Fitzroy? None, Abigail. How did you get here? I woke up here. He turned and started walking down the path, and I moved to keep up. Any idea how we get out? Not a own. How did you get here? Hole in the wall. His head jerked up, and he looked at me, then immediately back down. What was that about? I asked. Nothing. Sorry. Are you sure? Yes. I have crimp. I looked up. Two moons, broken branch, hanging by a strip of bark. Where are we going? I told you. I am taking you somewhere safe. There was something odd about what he said. Putting aside the weird way he spoke and the uncanny valley he was very firmly dwelling in, something about that sentence just then. I kept my eyes on him as I asked, What did you say your name was? I tell you already. Fitzroy. I stopped. No matter how many times you hear the phrase in hacky books or movies, you never quite believe it's something that can happen, but I now know what it feels like when your blood runs cold. He turned and looked back at me. Is something a matter? It had happened again. Or rather, not happened. Is what it sounded like, he said. It was a weird, sliding, slurring, clattering of letters that no human mouth or mind had ever formed. I forgot again, didn't I? He said, mouth not moving. Forgot to use my mouth. I swallowed, took a step back. My eyes flickered as something behind him caught my attention, something pale and thin and long in the moonlight. His body began to change. It split the skin. His body began to change. It split, the skin spreading, turning black as his arms stretched, losing rigidity, turning into boneless waves of flesh, 
His eyes grew wide, wide, open large and black, and then two stalks rose out and a pair of eyes on top blinked at me. Something started bulging from his back, but my attention was immediately slammed into place by the voice in my head. You, you won't, won't reach it, it, the Fitzroy thing said. He, he thinks, thinks he can interfere, but this world is ours, and Shrimigoroth's thousand thousand young will feast on his flesh. He cannot save you. You will not reach it. No, I said, I won't. And I turned and bolted back the way I had come. I ran, looking for the thing I thought, I hoped I would see. Behind me, I heard footsteps giving chase. Part of my mind registered that there were more than two, as if I was being chased by something with four legs rather than two. Then the sound increased, a drumming now rather than a paced run, and they also grew louder. I kept on, searching, searching. Then I saw the broken branch and looked a little ahead of that, and there... A huge roar behind me almost made me seize up, but my momentum carried me forward, and the arm was right there. I heard the Fitzroy thing scream in rage, in loss, in frustration, and God was it close, but I dove and took the hand in mine. There was a tremendous pull, and then another deafening brilliance, and then nothing. When I opened my eyes, I was back in the back room. Normality. Thank a merciful God, if there is a God. I had my doubts before, but after what I just saw, I don't see how any just and loving God could create things like those. I blinked a couple of times, staring up at the ceiling. Maybe it was all a dream, or I could convince myself it was, over time, with work. Not a dream, if that's what you're thinking, Abigail, a voice said. I sat bolt upright and turned my head. A man was sitting there, watching. He was, in most respects, totally average, 100% forgettable. He took a sip from a water bottle and raised it in a salute, then reached out his hand to help me up. I took it, and then I was outside. No intervening space or time between, just one moment here, the next there. The man was gone, and I wasn't where I had been. I looked around, but he was definitely gone. I walked back into the building, looked around. Everything looked normal, but it also seemed somehow fake to me, like some sort of dark veneer covered everything. I found Annalise and asked her if she had seen the man I walked out with. She hadn't even seen me leave, didn't even know I had until I came back in. So I decided I would put the whole thing out of my mind and move on with my life. That night, the dreams started, and the memories of that place haven't faded as dreams do. So, I found Dr. C, and here we are. The vanishing of Abigail McAllister is one of those things the world, even Abigail herself, doesn't know about, even though it happened. In my world, I reached into the hole in the wall and pulled her back out. I changed history, even if I'm not a time traveler. I don't really know what I am. Never have. I can know things as they happen, and I can affect outcomes before they're locked, but otherwise I don't know how to explain what it is I do. I think of myself as a sentinel. Over the years I've been doing this. I've collected lots of... things. Saved a few lives. Lost others. Abigail's is a story that ended well. 
this part of it anyway. There's always some psychological consequences. Like the gentleman from Rook's Mill, which I didn't find out about until it was too late. At least his suffering is over. I think Abigail will be fine. I hope she will. I hate collateral loss. Always have. Ever since Anya. Colin Malatrat, June 15th, 2014.